Behind every threat actor follows a laundry list of tools, bots to achieve their desired outcome. I would start off by getting to know cloud and cloud security. The one thing I would say is don't let the word technical or that's very technical dissuade you. The number one reason for cloud breaches is the human element. Okay, hello everyone, and welcome back to Cybersecurity Standup. Um, I'm your host, Bronwyn Hudson, and today I have another Uptix VIP with me today, um, Andre Rawl, our Director of Cloud Security. Andre, can you tell the people a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are in your career? Hey, thanks, Bronwyn. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm Director of Cloud Security here at Uptix. Been with Uptix for about a year and a half now. Uh, prior to Uptix, I was with AWS for just over five years. And my most recent role there, I oversaw their account takeover division. A lot of folks don't know that AWS actually has an account takeover division, but uh, you know, anytime keys are leaked in GitHub or other code repositories, AWS will detect and mitigate uh, any nefarious activities or behavior as a result of that. So yeah, I've been, been like I said, been up takes about a year and a half and a uh, little bit of my role and I will get into maybe a little bit later, but uh, I oversee the uh, cloud security threat research team here at Uptix. Love it. And so I'd love to ask you before we kind of dive into cloud security itself, can you tell us a little bit about like how you got to AWS? Like what, what was your background in? What was your education? How'd you get there? Yeah, you know, it's it's probably like most InfoSec uh, or just overall security folks, right? It's not a direct path. But for me, um, you know, I started off in IT, right? Like most folks. I started off in network security, worked at a company called Rapid7 as I came out of grad school. Uh, grad school, my, my major was information telecommunication systems. Okay. Started at Rapid7 uh, as a security sales engineer. Quickly realized that uh, hard selling in the front lines really just wasn't for me, even though, you know, we're all in sales. From there, I joined a company called Rackspace. Mm -hmm. And uh, at Rackspace, I uh, led a security team that uh, focused on uh, third-party security products. So Alert Logic, IDS, uh, Log Managers, uh, Imperva, WAFs, RSA, two-factor authentication. So I really got close to uh, you know, learning about security, how threat actors think, uh, some of the attack vectors that, uh, are, uh, that are taken or, or um, uh, exhibited through these threat actors. From there at Rackspace, I got promoted into uh, overseeing their uh, AWS cloud offering. So AWS, excuse me, Rackspace pivoted from a uh, cloud company or, or a managed service, excuse me, an on-prem hosting company to a managed service provider. So managing okay. other companies' clouds. And that got me exposed to AWS. And it really interested me, got me excited, uh, really peaked you know, my curiosity. Long story short, uh, got offered a role at AWS, went to enjoyed AWS, and that's when it just, you know, hit extreme uh, strides forward with understanding AWS, how it works, security of AWS. In my most recent role, like I mentioned, overseeing the account takeover team, that really pushed me into getting to understand how threat actors think, why they do the, what they do, what are some of the APIs that they use, why they use those, and so forth. And Throughout this whole journey, you know, there's been this curiosity, but also just going and, and uh, learning and understanding and getting certified in AWS. So, you know, it feels like, you know, some people say it's work, but for me, it's it's been some work, but a lot of it's just been fun, you know, learning how to Love break that. an attack and explore on AWS. 
it's really encouraging to hear. Like, I love asking folks about how they got into these kind of crazy careers because it's often it's driven by curiosity for a lot of uh, a lot of folks. And that is a really like inspiring thing to hear that you've created a, an amazing career for yourself. But also, you know, you've you've just followed your sort of passions and followed the things that you found interesting to get there, which is like the best. I have a question um, about about threat actors. So when I and I don't know how like how common this sort of train of thought is for a lot of people, but I have to ask it. When I think of a threat actor, I'm no longer thinking of like a hacker in a hoodie kind of vibe. That's kind of, you know, history in these days. But when you think about threat actors, are you thinking about people? Are you thinking about like human behavior? Are you thinking about groups of people? Like what is in your mind if I said like, tell me about threat actors in general? Yeah, good question. Uh, I would say, you know, threat actors are everything in between, right? So there's there's still these people in hoodies, you know, I think the word hacker is is dated, but it's someone, you know, intentionally trying to do something malicious to yeah. a uh, entity, a person, a corporation, a cloud account. What I found, what we saw at AWS is most of the folks doing this were, you know, not as sophisticated. You know, when I say sophisticated, I'm talking nation state actors. You know, nation state actors are also threat actors because they have a very specific outcome that they want to achieve. And, you know, they're just a lot better at achieving those outcomes gotcha. uh, because they have the resources, they have the money, they have the knowledge, expertise to go and uh, to go and do that. But to answer your question, you know, threat actor ranges from, you know, some little script kitty out there to nation state actors. You know, if you Google uh, recent uh, cloud breaches, uh, some pretty big names, you'll see that some of these are teenagers, right? Teenagers who just understand the cloud. I always like to say threat actors are cloud security experts, but they have this understanding of the cloud, but they've also got a great understanding of the tooling that's out there, right? So behind every threat actor, follows a laundry list of tools, uh, bots, scripts that they're using to achieve their desired outcome. So I can I can feel the next question naturally being, how do we catch up? How do we stay ahead? How do people like you help help teams protect their infrastructure? Yeah, so I don't think we ever will catch up, just to be blunt. At best, you know, we're one, two steps behind threat actors. The reason being is, you know, their world is all about researching, testing, exploring, mm-hmm. experimenting. And they only have to be right once. Whereas for us as defenders, blue team, security vendors, we have to think very holistically across the permissions, the APIs, the attack vectors, and we have to be right every single time. But one way to get ahead of this is whenever I go and talk to C-level folks or present in conferences, always emphasize thinking like a threat actor mindset. If you can take your blue team, your security team, and have them think how threat actors think, you're already closer to mitigating a potential attack than most. And the reason being is once you change your mindset into this, I'm going to defend, I'm going to make sure that my moat is is properly secure, is wide enough. Once you change it from that to hey, how do I find the crack? How do I find the exploit that I can go in and actually attack? And how do I actually do that? Once you understand how they're doing it, why they're doing it, you quickly realize that your defensive mechanisms or your defensive strategy will have to change for certain behaviors. Getting into the mind of a threat actor isn't easy. 
because not many people can think in that way. You know, a good example of this, when I was hiring for my team, I would, you know, look, I'm looking for cloud security threat researchers. And uh, I would interview uh, cloud security architects, right? Folks who came in and were able to architect a very secure environment from, uh, you know, application, networking. But as soon as I got into the weeds and said, okay, if you had this permission, how would you escalate privileges? How would you move laterally? What are the APIs you would call? More than half of them couldn't answer me. They couldn't articulate how that works. So even though you have the security-minded person, they're still not able to really think like a threat actor would. So anyway, I know it's a long-winded question or answer, I should say, but at the end of the day, thinking like a threat actor will give you a big advantage of staying at least one step behind threat actors. For folks who are in school right now, who are looking for a chance to get into cloud security and to be able to think like a threat actor, as you describe, any advice for them on how they can do that? You know, I would say the best way you're going to learn about cloud and cloud security is getting hands-on experience. So getting an account, uh, spinning resources up, tearing them down, reading documentation, how do they work, how does IAM work, uh, and really getting that practical knowledge behind them. Uh, you know, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and one of the attendees reached out to me and said, uh, you know, hey, I'm up and comer. I want to get deeper into cloud security. What can I do? And he followed fast with, oh, by the way, these are all the certs I'm getting. And I said, hey, that's great. And your certs are impressive, but don't just rely on certifications. Yeah. You need that practical experience to be able to develop the skills required to be successful. A cert can give you that knowledge, but unless you actually bend hands-on in the, in the weeds, uh, you're going to have a lot of context that's missing. So I would start off by getting to know cloud and cloud security. Once you have a good understanding of that, then shift and look for ways to attack insert CSP, right? So I'm, you know, focused, I'm very focused on AWS. Look at ways to attack, exploit, move laterally, escalate privileges, exfiltrate data in AWS. There's many resources on the web. There's a lot of YouTube videos. And then finally, you know, immerse yourself into conferences. Mm. So find which are the conferences where these talks are being presented. Yeah. You know, you'll look at YouTube and you'll quickly see the conference name. If possible, attend the conference. Go and bump shoulders with attendees. You'll very quickly realize there are the same folks who attend the same conferences, who talk about the same topics, yeah. but they are very deep and immersed in this topic. Yeah. So immerse yourself in this, uh, get the practical skills and, and get hands-on. And that's a really good way to uh, to get into this, uh, this realm. Definitely. I'm wondering too, like I think a lot of folks, they want to know everything about cloud, but they don't really know where to start. And it makes me think of this kind of, this topic that's been on my mind a lot recently, which is the idea of technical versus non-technical. And obviously for like the, you know, career path you're in and the, the you know, being a cloud security architect, a lot of that is, is very technical material. But can you speak to this distinction between technical and non-technical thinking or a technical and non-technical career path? And like, if someone has come up in, I don't know, like communications, like, do they have a shot at being able to get into this industry in a different way as well? The one thing I would say is don't let the word technical or that's very technical dissuade you because when you really boil it down, you know, there's these very big technical terms out there. But when you really distill it and say, okay, this is actually what that means, 
a lot of people say, oh, that's it. Yeah. That's what that means. I understand that. So what I see a lot of, a lot of non-technical people when they approach the cloud or they approach a concept, they're already nervous because they're already putting themselves in a position where they say, oh, that's technical. I'm not a technical person. Yeah. So really understand the basic uh, concepts in a, in a very simple way, right? Um, you know, today with ChatGPT, you can put in anything. You can put in a very complex description and say to ChatGPT, simplify this to me for me as if I'm a 13-year-old. But getting into this technical thing, it, it, it's not really technical. There are certain things that I look at and I say, oh, I don't quite understand it. But I don't go and say to myself, oh, that's so technical. I just can't understand it. Yeah. I just research it. I, I get in the cloud environment and I practice it. I try to configure something. And at the end of the day, if I understand that, I've now understood the technical piece of that configuration or the architecture or the concept. Yeah. So start off small, don't boil the ocean, take things in stride, simplify them. And really what it is, is building blocks. Yeah. It's building blocks on top of one another. And once you start getting that going, the momentum, you'll very quickly understand or get the confidence to realize, hey, I can do this. I can actually go and learn this. It's not as complicated as, as everyone makes it to be. I, I fully agree with you, honestly. And I, I hope that's encouraging for, for listeners to hear because I definitely feel like that's how I've approached things as well. Like getting in your own way with fear is definitely, it just will stymie you so easily, but it doesn't doesn't have to. But I want to go back and ask a question basically because I am looking to, you know, continue to gain knowledge as well. When you say something that sounds kind of like basic as like get into a cloud infrastructure that's actually kind of like out of my realm can you tell me like what what does that mean what does that look like yeah the analogy i'll give is and i use this regularly routinely in my in my talks is you know a threat actor when they steal credentials imagine a pitch dark house mm. so the house is your cloud environment they get in they don't know where they are. They don't know what room they're in. They don't know how many floors it has. They don't know where the valuables are stored. So imagine the house as your environment or your personal house. If a threat actor gets in, they're getting into your environment. Yeah. They're getting into your personal space, your environment. For companies, it's their cloud environment. So that's really what it means is getting inside when they shouldn't be inside. Yeah. And then once they're there, like I mentioned, they have to do reconnaissance, which is just, where am I? What am I? What do I have access to? Who's, whose permission set is this, does this belong to? Which role, which user? So really that's what it means is to get inside a cloud environment. Yeah. On a like granular practical level, what are you doing? What are you accessing? Think about there's, there's two different ways to access or, or three, four different ways to access AWS. The console, CLI, um, which uses the API, and then the SDK, right? So... To boil it down, think about a house. You have a front door, a back door, a side door. Cool. Um, a console is just like you log into your Bank of America, your Chase, whatever, whoever you bank with. You go to the website, you put your username, your, your password, and you're in. Once you're in, you see what's relevant to you and you can make changes. The same thing happens in the cloud, except the cloud, the threat actor has stolen your credentials. So imagine someone stole your banking details. They're now in and they can do a whole bunch of stuff. The other way is through API. And really what an API is, to put it very simple, you go to a restaurant, you look at a menu, you want the waiter comes, takes your order, 
goes back to the kitchen, they make it, and he brings it back. That is an API, right? You're selecting something from a menu. It's going back, getting it, and bringing it back to you. That is all it is. That's what an API does. So that is another way that actors can get in. Now, there are two different credential sets for uh, console and for accessing the API on AWS. So depending on which are stolen, uh, they could go either route and gain access to environments via those uh, methods. Extremely informative. Thank you so much for that insight. (laughs) Some of the work that I have done has been around educating the public about the cumulative effect of data breaches and like how (laughs) how dangerous it is and the kind of the environments that we're all now in, like basically trying to communicate this understanding that your information is probably already out there. It's probably already been stolen. As an expert, can you weigh in on what people perceive as like the compromised credential crisis? (laughs) Yeah, just to kind of back up a little, you know, how I operate is assume breach. I assume my PI data, right? Name, date of birth, social security is already on the internet. Um, So I have mechanisms in place, you know, frozen all my credits. If you're in the US, you you know, you you can freeze your credit, frozen all of that because it's already out there and people are seeing it, they're using it, uh, or they're trying to use it, I should say. Going back to your question just around, it was about credential access. Yeah. And basically I'm tying it into, to like, what, how can we educate the public? What useful tactics can we, can we tell them? Can we inform them of using? Like, is it as uh, big of a problem as, as I think it is? <laughs> absolutely. So phishing still remains one of the top attack vectors threat actors employ. Right. Because still to this day, in 2023, we have folks who are using the same password across many different platforms. Yeah. Or there's a variation. You know, my password 123x, my password 234y, you know, threat actors know this and they're going after that. Again, a threat actor has a very big net that they cost and that net may only catch a small percentage of, you know, susceptible users, but that is more than enough for them. Gotcha. Because of this, threat actors are going after the easy targets, the people who don't change their password, who don't use password managers. I highly encourage folks to use password managers. Initially, many years ago, not many years ago, about seven years ago, I switched to a password manager. That initial leap was very daunting because now I don't know my banking password. And I'm thinking, well, I've got it saved here. What if I need it? I don't know it. But once you get in the routine of using a password manager, it is such a weight off of your shoulders. Secondly, what I'd say is two-factor authentication. Do not underestimate how important two-factor authentication is. So whoever you operate with, whether it's banking, a cloud provider, always ensure that some kind of MFA, multi-factor authentication, is present or is is enabled. I feel like uh, it's it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month at the time of recording this, and I'm sort of acutely aware that I'm not sure it's going well, you know? So like to be able to get practical and honestly kind of easy steps to take that people who aren't in cybersecurity who are just looking to live a regular life on the on the internet and in their digital worlds, it's really helpful to be able to have like little key pieces of information to pass that on. In kind of the same vein, is there anything else that you really wish the public knew about cybersecurity? Like is there is there a nugget, a fundamental truth you wish you could communicate to everyone? Is there something you wish that everyone knew? Yeah, I would say don't underestimate 
the threat actor's ability to be sophisticated. You know, you will see this often, right, where someone will, you know, write a password down or pull up something on a screen in a public setting and think, well, I'm kind of in the peripheral of my eyes. I'm seeing no one's really looking at me, so I should be fine. Don't underestimate that, you know, and I don't want to have this kind of scare tactic in place, but always be paranoid about this. Obviously, you need to live your life and you need to be, uh, you know, happy, but take your privacy, take your uh, credentials very seriously. I always think to myself, okay, what could a threat actor do with this? If they were to get hold of this, how impactful would it be to me? Could I do something differently? Should I employ a different method in my process or my day-to-day? Yeah. But just be vigilant and know that threat actors are constantly evolving. They're constantly looking for candidates who are you know, who have a blind spot, Yeah. who don't look at themselves, who don't take it seriously, who use the same password across every different platform. That is the prime target for a threat actor. And is that often in your experience, like I would sort of assume that it's probably an elderly population that are super vulnerable there as well. Are there other populations that, that we could be sharing this information with that are particularly targeted? Yeah, it's it's a bit of everyone, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's, you know, the elderly are definitely a target uh, for various reasons. You know, that, that will have a different type of threat actor mm-hmm. who's targeting them. Gotcha. Then you focus on threat actors who target corporations. Yeah. That's a very different type of threat actor. And they have their tactics, techniques, procedures that they're going to employ across corporations and anyone who works for that corporation. Yeah. And then you can have threat actors who just target cloud security. They know where to look for credentials. They know how to target those credentials. They know how to use those credentials in a very expedited manner so that they don't get detected or they're able to achieve their desired outcome before they actually get detected. Yeah. So I wouldn't say it's a one-size-fits-all kind of demographic. Yeah. The threat actors themselves are going to specialize in a particular vertical. And what we see in the dark web is you may have a group of threat actors who are very good at stealing credentials, but they don't know how to use them or they don't want to use them. They'll then go to the dark web and sell those credentials to the threat actor groups who know precisely how to use them and precisely how to exploit the environments that those credentials can be used for. But one of the biggest things we see is password spraying. Again, going back to the same password being used, Password spraying is still a true and tried, tested uh, exploit because breaches happen. You know, threat actors will sell unencrypted passwords to uh, the dark web, and all they do is they run them through their password spraying scripts to see which ones actually take in a particular environment. Maybe it's a cloud environment, maybe it's a banking environment, or it's both. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that's a true and tried. A trusted way that threat actors will uh, exploit or gain access to environments they shouldn't have access to. And is it for for companies who are looking for ways to stop that happening or prevent these attacks? Is it is it password policies that mainly help prevent that, or what can organizations do? You know, organizations are trying, right? So we have password policies today, and we have MFA today, but a lot of these breaches, you know, they're bypassing that. Yeah. You know, the number one reason or cloud breaches is the human element. So humans tend to take shortcuts, tend to get frustrated, tend to be a little lazy, and that's why they're targeted so often. So even with credentials that have password policies, we're still seeing breaches. I think what we're gonna see more and more of is something that 
is called zero trust. Even someone who has credentials, you don't trust them, yeah. right? They need to make a justified use case for why they need to access something, why they need to you know, get, gain access to a resource, to a service, and that will try and mitigate some of the breaches that we've had. But at the end of the day, you know, if the human is still the person or the entity that we're relying on to get something done, we're going to see more and more of these breaches happen because they are the weakest link in all of this. I think people hear that, like I've read, you know, those same, like the same stats in the Verizon DBIR and that kind of stuff. And I definitely have an emotional reaction. It kind of makes me feel bad about being a human. I'm like, oh man, yeah, I, I am a little lazy sometimes. Like, yeah, no kidding. Like this is frustrating because when I want to access my bank account, I want it to be really easy, that kind of thing. And I think, I mean, how can we... I don't think zero trust needs to be like rebranded, but how can we talk about it in a way that like that that promotes the idea that being paranoid is actually a good thing and that being cynical is a good thing? Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's it's tough, right? Because part of this is all of us need to want to learn this, want to understand it. And there's a part of it where people just don't want to learn about security. Mm. You know, it's like, hey, I've got my day job and I've got to get take care of things. You know, the security thing is, is for the security team. Right. They can go and implement what they need to do. They can do what they want. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's just, it's a matter of realizing the outcome, the, the blast radius. If something were to happen to, you know, your credentials that resulted in, you know, those your credentials got stolen, they were used to access your cloud environment, and, you know, they spun up $200,000 worth of crypto mining. Well, that may come back to haunt you because, well, what diligence did you have? Where did you deploy those credentials? How did you use them? So I think for humans to really take this seriously, there needs to be more of a, hey, this is what is going to happen. You know, you need to want to understand yeah. the repercussions of this. Security is not just for security folks, right? Security is for every single person. On a personal level, I would say, you know, imagine getting your identity stolen. Imagine getting your bank account compromised to where they drain your 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 funds. I think that hits home. Yeah. You know, go and ask any of these folks who had their identity stolen, their bank accounts drained. I'll bet you now they are taking that a lot more seriously. Yeah. Again, I always like to say, what would happen if this were to be breached? What would happen if this were to get compromised? And think through those worst case scenarios. I think that'll help resonate or, or change the mindset to where folks are saying, okay, I should probably take this a little more seriously. I think that's very wise. And even though it feels a little bit like fear tactics, it's like, well, yeah, maybe that is something you should be afraid of. That's like a realistic thing. It's not necessarily fear mongering. It's like, no, this is something that would you should definitely be afraid of on some level. Okay, so changing gears a tiny bit, I wanted to ask you, because you're you're the director of cloud security at, at Uptex, but you've, you've had a really interesting career in terms of like how you've gotten to where you are. Is community something that you feel is salient within the cybersecurity industry? How do you build community? I mean, I feel like in, in a directorship, you have, you know, your team, which is kind of a, a different kind of community. But do you feel a kinship with other cloud security researchers and directors? It's funny because once you get into this world, you actually realize it's a very small world. Yeah. It's the same names. It's the same concepts, same people talking, you know, I think it goes back to just, you know, overall, I think there's a big lack of cloud security, deep cloud security knowledge mm -hmm. out there, just because it's so complex, it's so vast, it's, it's impossible for one person to wrap their arms around every single piece and become a true expert across everything. Yeah. But 
there is a community. Um, you know, you got to know where to find the community. You got to find uh, the right people, the right conferences, but they are very, very helpful, very willing to take their time and help up and comers. You know, even, you know, I personally, there's, there's questions that I have based on something I'm researching, based on some nuanced behavior that, as an example, we have a cloud security uh, Slack channel. I may post on there and say, hey, I'm seeing this. Anyone else seen this? Should I expect this? Is this something that is anyone else's experience? And everyone is very helpful to you know, lend their, their ideas, their comments uh, to that. So I would say there is a community. It's, going, it's growing and growing. It's getting bigger and bigger. But uh, you know, I think there's still room to go to get more and more folks entwined into cloud and cloud security personally. I feel like there's a skill shortage. I feel like there is a, a big knowledge gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to my example about this, you know, someone could architect a cloud environment, but going into the how to think like a threat actor, there's still a big chasm of, of knowledge there. Yeah, going back to that, what you were saying about uh, like certs are great, but you kind of need this practical experience too. I mean, for someone who's looking... I agree with you. I think there is a skills shortage, but also I don't see a lot of entry level roles for cloud security. Not that I'm like looking <laughs> in depth or anything, but for someone who's trying to yeah, get that leg up, get that experience. Do you have any favorite resources that you'd recommend or any, I mean, is, is YouTube your go-to? Yeah, it's, it's a combination. I wouldn't say YouTube is my go-to. I, I use YouTube, but I would also, you know, like I said, I think the, the biggest gains I've received has been trying to be associated or within this this cloud security circle. Yeah. And I, I say it's a circle, but it's it's an open circle. You know, anyone can come in and they're willing to help. But just watching and listening and, and seeing and reading what some of these other folks are talking about, mm-hmm. that has opened my eyes to say, wow, I had no idea that works like that. Or I had no idea that's even possible in cloud. So again, going back to my earlier comment, immerse yourself into this world of these these folks, these experts. Listen to or attend these conferences. You know, nowadays a lot of conferences are putting their videos of the conference on YouTube. So that's another way. If you can't attend, watch the videos on YouTube. But uh, yeah, I think just learning about it, reading about it, and again, most importantly, trying to uh, perform that in a cloud environment, cool. right? Getting that practical hands-on knowledge of trying to do it. In the beginning, it's going to feel very frustrating. It's going to feel very, you're going to doubt yourself because you're like, well, I have no idea what the hell's going on here. Why am I doing this? Try and overcome that. Try and push through that. Because once you successfully perform your first change, exploit, configuration as a newcomer, it's very infectious. It's very uh, satisfying because you've achieved something that you've worked so hard to do and you just keep building on that. And you keep building on it until you find that you just take a step back and you say, wow, I actually know quite a bit. You know, maybe I'm not an expert, but I actually know quite a bit at this point. Heck yeah, I totally agree. It's really important to look back at your journey as well as to look forward into it. Well, you've been incredibly generous with your time. I do have one sort of like dismount question uh, because I like to be a little goofy. If you could hire one fictional character to be your head of maybe maybe you're like your CISO that you report to or maybe like your, your co-director of cloud security, who would you hire and why? <laughs> probably, probably Charles Xavier. From X-Men. Oh, great call. You know, exceptionally powerful telepath can read and control the minds of others. So, hey, find out who the threat actors are, 
go control their minds and have him do something else, go and paint unicorns, whatever. But he would be my CISO. He would be my go-to. Love that. Great answer. Um, wonderful. <laughs> uh, if you want to be found on the internet, where can people find you? Yeah, find me uh, on uh, on LinkedIn. That's probably the most uh, widely used platform that I use. Um, but yeah, Andre Roll, uh, just search uh, on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to connect, happy to answer questions. If any folks have comments or questions that I can help with, reach out to me and uh, happy to uh Happy to be of use. Thank you so much for your time today, Andre. And we will see you out there next week in cyberspace.